You may be seated. Well, when God disrupts the preaching schedule, maybe he has something in mind, right? So if you've been with us, uh, you'd know we're in this series called Four Letter Words. And uh, if you've been engaging online for the last few few weeks, you'll know uh, this series, Four Letter Words. Well, back in December, I was here on Thursday night, our worship team rehearsal, and I was talking with Sharice, one of our worship leaders, and uh, shout out to her. She's not feeling well today, so I hope you feel better. She said she's online watching this morning. But uh, Sharice and I are talking after rehearsal, and I'm talking to her about Jonah and the importance of obedience as example from his life in our life, no matter what the assignment God gives us, Uh, we should follow with faithfulness and obedience. Well, uh, she says to me after listening to what I was saying, hey, you need to preach that one Sunday morning. And I just kind of shrugged it off and didn't think anything more of it. But then a few weeks ago, uh, I'm talking to my beautiful wife and she says to me, hey, what are you thinking of speaking on in in the four-letter words? And I said, I I really don't know. And she said, you should pray that uh, God would speak to you from something our faith community needs to hear. And when she said those words, I immediately remembered the conversation that I had with Sharice uh, back in December. And I was like, now this is no word of a lie. (laughs) I thought to myself, it's just a real shame that obedience is not a four letter word. You know, I remember a few years back, I was on a flight with my son. He was about five years old at the time. And I sat in the window seat and he sat in the middle and then a guy we didn't know came and sat in the aisle seat. And we weren't long into the flight that my son pulled out a children's book and it was the story of Jonah and the big fish. And he starts flicking through it when this guy next to Chase, leans over and says to him, hey, what are you reading there, champ? And he says, oh, I'm, I'm reading about Jonah and the big fish. And the guy says, oh, that's the, that's the story where a guy gets thrown overboard and a fish comes and swallows him and all that. And Chase says, yeah, that's right. And the guy says to him, do you believe that's true? And Chase says, well, yeah, I learn about it in Sunday school. And then the guy says to him, but how do you know it actually happened? And he said, how do I know if it actually happened? Well, one day when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. (laughs) So then the guy follows up and he says, but what if when you get to heaven, Jonah isn't there? And Chase says, well, if I get to heaven and Jonah's not there, then you can ask him. At least that's what he should have said if that story was true. (laughs) That's been told by so many preachers. (laughs) So the story of Jonah. If you've been around uh, church, uh, you grew up in church, uh, you would know the story. It's pretty straightforward, right? Jonah gets a command from God to go to the city of Nineveh 
and to preach there. And Jonah says, no, thank you. And he actually jumps in a ship set to Tarshish. Uh, God sends a huge storm. The sailors throw Jonah overboard. Uh, God sends a big fish. He swallows up Jonah. Jonah prays in the middle of the fish. And uh, God commands the fish to spit him up onto dry land. Then Jonah, the second time, goes to Nineveh, preaches the people repent. Basic overview of the story of Jonah, which we, many of us, grew up with. But what I wanna do is kind of double click on just a few aspects of the story of Jonah, kind of early on. And I think there might be something in this for us as a faith community today. We look at what happened in this story. Now, to begin with, when you study Jonah, one of the questions that's often asked is, do you think this story actually happened? Do you think it's literal or parabolic? Do you think it's a fable or factual? Now, when we approach this story, it's perhaps a challenge to disassociate from the influence that it appears in so many children's books. And perhaps the most famous of all <laughs> is the cucumber and the tomato. <laughs> this is what I'm calling the Veggie Tales effect. This can get in the way for us as adults. Seeing this as actually a very confrontive story of which the gospel hides in plain sight within this text. So real quickly, I wanna give you the three reasons why I'm persuaded that this is a literal story, that this story happened. Three reasons, firstly, I believe that the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is a supernatural, miracle-working God who created the universe at the sound of His voice. I believe that. I believe He can therefore bend and flex the natural order of things for His divine purposes as He so chooses. To that end, if He commands a big fish to swallow a man, provide oxygen for him to survive three days in its belly, I believe God can. Now may I remind you that central to our faith is a supernatural virgin birth. May I remind you that this baby went on to grow to be a man who would die on a cross and three days later come back to life. That's the first reason. The second reason I believe this is literal is there is biblical evidence of history that supports Jonah did actually live. Recorded in 2 Kings, this is King Jeroboam's reign. It records Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepher. Recorded in history that Jonah lived. The third reason, another reference from scripture and maybe even more compelling because this time it's spoken by Jesus himself. Many Bibles title this passage, The Sign of Jonah. Matthew 12, 38, and it reads, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. 
Jesus' words. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus mentions Jonah and the fish as a foreshadowing of his literal death and resurrection. As he's unpacking what will take place, he uses Jonah to parallel, to illustrate what they should expect with his literal death on a cross, his literal three-day burial, and his literal resurrection. He references a literal story of a supernatural event where Jonah is thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish, remains there three nights, and then is spat up on dry land. So at the beginning of this message, please do not succumb to the veggie tale effect and dismiss this story as simply a cartoon. Deal? All right, verse one of chapter one of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The Hebrew word for wickedness is the word ra. Every three-year-old boy knows this Hebrew word, ra. In most English translations throughout the Bible, it's translated to the word evil. But the word ra in the Hebrew is wickedness. It, it comes from this root word to, to break apart, which coincidentally is also very appropriate for three-year-old boys. But foundation to Jonah's disobedience is the need to understand what was so wicked about Nineveh. What was so wicked that he refused a direct command from his God? Now the narrator of Jonah presumes that we all know as the readers what that wickedness was. However, for us in the 21st century, we're not so aware of what the wickedness of Nineveh was. So I wanna give you a little backstory about Nineveh to aid our understanding in why Jonah refused to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital and largest city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was one of the first empires in the history of the world and it lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. The reign of the Assyrians was unmatched, and what was also unmatched was their cruelty. They ruled with fear, intimidation, and terror. A secular historian, Dan Carlin, writes, the Assyrians invented terrorism, and other nations went on to copy their barbaric cruelty. There was a level of brutality and a level of violence that came from the Assyrians like the world had never seen. But the Assyrian Empire reserved a certain level of cruelty just for the Jews. More painful and perhaps more subtle because the Jews had a strong sense of ethnic heritage and identity that the Assyrians decide to not annihilate the Jews but to dilate their race. So they invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, they abducted them and forced the Jews to marry the Assyrians. They produced a generation of half Jew and half Assyrian. Now this generation of people were immediately disowned and despised by both people groups. The Jews had a distaste for this people group because they betrayed Jewish heritage. 
They should have killed themselves before allowing their bloodline to be tarnished. This half Jew, half Assyrian people group came to be known as the Samaritans. And the Samaritans make several cameo appearances in Scripture and every time Jesus demonstrates his love for them. The story of the 10 healed lepers and one returns to Jesus to thank him, he was a Samaritan. Jesus meets a woman at the well, she is a Samaritan woman. And then maybe the most famous Samaritan story of all that Pastor Benji talked on last month is simply titled what? The Good Samaritan, yeah. So okay, in verse one, God says go and Jonah says no. Jonah actually decides to go in the complete opposite direction that God is calling him to go. Have you ever done that? (laughs) God calls you to obey and you not only don't obey, you do exactly the opposite of what obeying would look like. I've done that. Have you ever done that? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mike Kelsey used a map on this back screen. I thought it was a really cool idea. I was gonna copy it today. (laughs) For all of those of us who are visual learners. So here we have uh, Jonah is in Jerusalem. He's got about a 650 mile journey up to the east to go to Nineveh. Instead, he drops down to Joppa about 30 miles and he heads on a journey that would take a year by ship, 2,800 miles to Tarshish. Now what's interesting about Tarshish that you've gotta know about Jonah's mindset is it was the furthest point in the known world at that time. Jonah's disobedience to God finds him going the furthest most point that he possibly could go. Have you ever done that? If people had heard this in Jonah's time and he had said, I've been called to Nineveh and actually I'm sailing to Tarshish, people would have laughed. Be like getting an assignment to go to New York City and you get a ticket to go to LA, right? It's the furthest opposite point you could possibly physically go to get away from the assignment that God had given him. This is Jonah's mindset and I relate with it. And I think if you're honest, you would too. Maybe right now, as you look at this map behind me, some of you are heading in the opposite direction of God's will in your life today. Or perhaps your awareness right now as you look at this map is about a loved one who you know is walking in the opposite direction from God. What this map illustrates is essentially the framing of two visions for life, the call of God and the tension of man. The call to go to Nineveh and the tension that I wanna go to Tarshish. These two visions are at conflict with one another. These tensions wage a war within us in in small ways and in large ways when it comes to obeying God. You see, no one drifts towards obedience to God. You must make a deliberate decision to put aside your vision and choose 
God's vision, to travel towards him and in doing so believe that he has the very best plan and purpose for your life. You must put aside what you secretly hold to be your plan for your life. But like Jonah, too often we disobey and when God says go east, we set sail for west. D.A. Carson puts it like this, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Verse three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Jonah is living in active disobedience to God. And notice who is impacted. He's asleep and the sailors are throwing precious cargo overboard and Jonah is completely oblivious. Those around Jonah are the ones suffering. Are the ones who are negatively impacted by his disobedience and the choices he's making. Now ultimately, Jonah knows he's responsible for the storm, but he doesn't repent He doesn't pray, he doesn't throw himself overboard, he puts the responsibility of his disobedience on other people. Have you experienced that before? When someone's poor choices become your responsibility. Many of you know theologian Will Smith He says it like this in regards to the effect of our poor decisions. You don't realize you sit in the eye of the storm where it's calm, but one step away from you is where the winds are whipping and where the fury of the storm rages. But because it's calm where we are, we can be totally oblivious to the punishment of the storm we caused. So the sailors are charged with the responsibility to solve Jonah's problem. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should, we do to ma- what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And Jonah is thrown into the sea And as his body hits the water and he starts to go down, 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 he realizes his disobedience has brought upon the end. 
He's at the pinnacle of his despair as he realizes his rebellion and his disobedience to God has resulted in the end. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you set sail for Tarshish and realized you're so far from the will of God in your life that there's no way back? Ever feel like the things in your past, your story, your history, some of the decisions that you've made mean that there's a, a subcategory of Christianity that you find yourself in? That, that you can't come back because you have sailed too far to Tarshish and your Tarshish has become your destination to say it's your destiny. You've gone too far. This is Jonah going down into the depths of the sea at this point. But we serve a God of the second chance. We serve the God of the third and the fourth chance. The story isn't finished yet. Hear this in verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Who provided the fish? The Lord. Other translations say the Lord commanded the fish. And what happens next is the turning point to the entire story of Jonah. And it happens at the bottom of the ocean. It happens in the pit of darkness, in the belly of a fish is where it happens. Jonah prays. Jonah praises in the darkness. Listen to this in chapter two, verse nine. But I, this is Jonah, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. A few years ago, my, my brother wrote a book, Darren Whitehead wrote a book uh, called Holy Raw. And it's the seven Hebrew words for praise. So in verse nine, when Jonah says praise here, the Hebrew word for that is the word todah. And todah means a confession, a sacrifice of praise. Check this out. Thanksgiving for things not yet received. Remember, when Jonah todahs the Lord, he's in the darkness. He's at the bottom of the ocean, in the belly of a fish. This is where Jonah todah to the Lord for things not yet received. This is particularly insightful because Jonah was praying and praising for something that had not yet happened. He was praising God in anticipation. Listen to this, it was an act of faith. He's inside the fish, in the darkness, trapped in the belly of a fish, but he offers grateful praise. And this we know is a reoccurring teaching in Scripture for us. Acts 16 is one of the most well-known. It's Paul and Silas in the prison. And what does the Bible tell us in Acts 16 about their circumstances? It's about midnight in the middle of the darkness. And here, Paul and Silas offer up a sacrifice of praise and their chains fall off and the prison door flies open. 
And God responds to the praises in the midst of the darkness. This is where they're saying, praises opens prisons. Praises opens prisons. In my notes here, I've got, may I just preach for a moment. Tanae, I'm gonna need your help, okay? (laughs) Here we go. Praising God in the darkness is a powerful act of faith. It's a declaration that our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope comes from the Lord. Could it be that today you find yourself in a season of darkness? Do you feel submerged by your circumstances? Throughout history, God's people have praised through seasons of pain. God's people have praised through difficult seasons. And the praise of Jonah here is the praise for God's deliverance and he has not yet been delivered. Jonah's praise is that God would save him and he had not yet been saved. He's thanking God for something that has yet to come to pass. Praise is an act of faith. Put it another way, this is how I fight my battles. When you praise God in the darkness, when things are not as you hoped they would be, when you find yourself in despair of some of your poor choices, when things have not yet been resolved, when you disobeyed God and you went in the opposite direction, there, at that moment, in the darkness, when you're on your way to Tarshish, make a decision to set your heart back on God, to set your eyes upon Him, to lift up a shout of praise, to lift up a hand of declaration of who God is, that your hope is in Jesus. You see, in these circumstances, there is a special kind of power that is released into our lives. So could it be that one day we will come to heaven and we will stand around and say, we never realised just how much power was at our disposal. Could it be that we grossly underestimate the power of praise to break the darkness of our circumstances? Could it be that whilst it's easy to praise when things are going good, when things are well, it's easy to worship. But could it be that God calls us in the dark places of our lives to offer up the todah, to offer up a thanks for things not yet received? Now's your amen. I was here rehearsing yesterday. I just wanted Tanae to be there to... (laughs) It is with absolute love, my sister. I have lost my place. God commands your circumstances. Do you believe that? Check this out. God commanded a big fish. You see, He is sovereign over all things, including our circumstances. And if God 
wants to control the natural order of things and send a big fish, He can. And just like you're looking through your circumstances with natural eyes, God is saying, lift your vision to heaven and realise that I control your circumstances. God can bring the breakthrough just like Jonah praised God in the darkness and God delivered him into the light. Now what is true is this doesn't always happen immediately. True theologian Charles Spurgeon wrote, delayed answers to prayer are not only trials of faith, they also give opportunities to honour God through our steadfast confidence in Him. It's good, isn't it? Even when facing the apparent denial of our request. So this morning, could Jonah's story, the story of disobedience, be a catalyst in your life? Some of you listening to me know that you're on your way to Tarshish right now. Literally right now, you're on the way to Tarshish. The, the Hebrew word for repent is shub, and, and shub means to turn around. Is that good? You're on the way to Tarshish. The word of the Lord would come to you this morning and say, turn around. Turn around. You serve the God of the second chance. So turn around. Some of you are about to begin a relationship that you know you have no place being involved in. Some of you are about to sign on to a business venture that God has already said no to. Some of you, when God called you to soften your heart, to reconcile with a coworker, a friend or a family member, you went down to Joppa and bought your ticket to go to Tarshish. Huh? Today, turn around. There's power in self-evaluation, doing, doing a check-in with yourself. Here's the question, am I currently living in obedience or am I currently living to disobedience? The will of God in my life. See, this story of Jonah, it's not a cartoon, friends. Don't be succumb to the veggie tale effect. This is a really confrontive story that has a way of peering with potency into our own stories. At this point, the story of Jonah has gone from sea to land, from chaos to order. You see, both land and sea are used in Scripture as metaphors. The sea generally is always a metaphor for chaos, turmoil, anxiety, and storms, while land represents stability, peace, and order. It's not the promised ocean, but the promised land that God gives His people. And His promise today is no different for you, no matter what your current circumstances. He is the God of order, peace, and stability. And He's calling you to turn around from Tarshish and to embrace that peace, that stability, and that order in your life. Some of you are in all kinds of crazy relationships right now. And you know the chaos of it is not of God. Turn around. Get out of that relationship. There's a business dealing that you're involved in that's crazy. 
Turn around. Listen to the word of the Lord. Sometimes obedience comes at the cost of comfort. If you wanna pursue comfort, listen to this. Sometimes obedience comes at the cost of comfort. But what follows obedience is always blessing. So good. Always follows obedience in our life. The power and favour in our God. So if you're in the darkness right, at, right now, I wanna encourage you to shout out a todah. Praise to the one who can command your circumstances and you can find yourself once again on dry land. Bible teacher Christy McLeland says it like this, when we run from God, we fall asleep spiritually to the things of God in your life. Some of you need to wake up. In fact, if you do a a word study, a comparison of the word up and down in the Jonah story, what you discover is God is all about calling Jonah up. He's calling him up into a better version of himself. He's calling him up into a better purpose and plan for his life. So he says to Jonah in verse one, get up, wake up. See, some of you need to wake up today. He says to Jonah, wake up, get up, go up to Nineveh and preach up the righteousness of God. What Jonah does is goes down to Joppa. He goes down below in the ship. He jumps overboard and he goes down to the bottom of the ocean. And then God meets him there and he has a fish to swallow him up. And then he commands the fish to vomit him up onto dry land. You see, when we follow God's plan and purpose for our life, it is always up. When we follow our own plan for our lives, it's often always down to a lower version of ourselves. Some of you need to wake up this morning. Some of you need to get up. Turn around. Embrace the God of the second chance and take up His call, His plan and His purposes for your life. So right now, I'm gonna ask you all here to stand up because we're gonna go to God in prayer. If you're engaging online and you're able to, I encourage you to stand up just in reverence to the Word of God this morning. And just because you're taking this in from your living room or driving in your car does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not wanting to minister into your circumstances this morning and to call you up. So symbolically, I wanna ask you right now as we are standing up, what does up look like in your circumstances? Would you close your eyes? And Heavenly Father, as we take a moment just to self-evaluate our obedience, 
We wanna ask, Lord, your Holy Spirit to just fall in this place. Everyone listening to my voice, may there be an awareness of your Spirit just coming. See, God, Jonah's story reminds us that you are the God of the second chance, that we are people who woke up this morning to new mercies. The power of the Gospel is that you love us so. So Father, for ones carrying areas of shame today, may they know, as you tell us in 1 John, that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, I pray for the one who is aware of their past, is aware of their story, is aware of their wrongdoings, their poor decisions, their actions, and they feel like you've put them in a subcategory of Christianity, a subcategory of being a son and daughter of the Most High. Lord, I pray for that person today. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your living Word, give them the confidence to turn around and to take up the forgiveness that is given to them in Jesus Christ. Father, you sent Jesus and He was put up on a cross for us. He was taken down into the grave for three days. But after three days, He rose up from the grave to give us victory, to give us purpose and the plans of our lives. So Father God, I pray now that your sons and daughters would receive your forgiveness and your cleansing today. And I pray this in the powerful name, the unmatched name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. In Jesus we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.